This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood films. This month, we are taking a look back at Baby's Secret of the Lost Legend to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Oh boy, that name is hard to remember and hard to say. I had to write it down just so I could remember the random <laughs> sort of assortment of words that make up this title. Now, you say we're taking a look back, but I... I think I was the only one who even had ever seen this before. Oh, for sure. And we will get into all the horrible sights you've made us watch. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't uh, even heard of it, yeah. but I mentioned it to my family, and my dad goes, oh, is that the one with the dinosaur? Ha! And I'm like, okay, apparently you've see, heard of it. And so this goes all the way back to our, not the first we episode, but like Mark one is of the those oldest man ones. alive. And so he has yeah, a similar I, I film remember the time of father. the dinosaurs, so I have to Yes. Now how accurate was this representation of dinosaurs versus actual dinosaurs? Oh, Mark? I mean these were obviously real animals they had in this film, so To be fair, this movie did come out before both Carl and I were alive. But we've seen other films that also <laughs> hold that. That's true. Yeah, but this wasn't Well, good. so I think what happened was I used to be really into The Land Before Time, as we know. From right, other that episodes. was your favorite film. And I think I somehow I th we must have seen it on TV or something. And uh, and so every time I would tell my mom, I want to see that dinosaur movie, and then we would watch this one too. But mm. I think it was the, it must have been the TV edit because because reasons that we'll get into. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> so well, before we get too deep into it, Mark, you've put us through this. Um, so it is up to you to explain the plot to our listeners oh, and to good. do a 60 second synopsis just so they have a frame of reference of what this movie is actually about before we talk about all the weird things going on in it. Well, so, yes. Good I have got a timer ready. 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready to go? Uh, yes, sure. <laughs> Alrighty. And in three... Two, one, go. After six months of chasing her life's dream and coming up short, Susan is convinced to come home to America when her husband, George, lands a new journalism job. Just before they leave, they are informed of an outbreak of food poisoning caused by eating an animal with a bone similar to one Susan had found. Trying to claim the discovery for himself, her professor had told her the bone came from a giraffe, but the doctor assured her the animal was not a mammal. Against George's wishes, Susan travels to the village to investigate, where a dying chieftain draws a picture of the animal they ate, which looks eerily like a brontosaurus. They learned where the animal was killed and travel up river where they meet a jungle tribe. Soon they stumble across a live dinosaur and follow it to its home where a female and baby are waiting. Eventually they gain the animal's trust just when the other scientists arrive with a military escort, kill the father, and capture the mother. George and Susan decide to care for the baby dino and free its mother. After being captured themselves, their tribal friends come to the rescue and together they devise a plan to free both dinosaurs. During the rescue, the mother is cut loose and chases down the professor who kidnapped the titular baby in search of fame. George and Susan decide not to reveal the secret, but write it off as just another <coughs> local legend. 
Well, you were very close, but slightly over time. Hey, it beeped after I stopped talking. (laughs) Well, that is true. I mm, maybe maybe you you got it done. I I said "Eh, eh," when I saw a zero, but you were right. There are fractions of a second that you still had left. It was close. I yes. Now this I hope gets to mostly the meat of the story. Right. Um, so before before we get into it, just let me say my sound clip, which is let's get into log form things you may have seen as an adult that you may have missed as a child. Close enough to what I normally say there. Mark, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So I think that gets most of the plot. I, I, always when I do those things, I end up like I'll start up writing up the whole story and then cut out all the stuff that I think isn't mm-hmm. very important to the main plot. And there were many scenes to this that could have been included, but I think weren't yeah, necessary too, so in this I synopsis. So I think it was so. necessary to our listeners, because like me and Sarah, I don't think a lot of people have seen this film. Right. Um, and spoiler alert, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but the basic plot has been done way better way more times than in just this film. They're looking for a mythical creature. They're off to find it. Some normal people are going up against a big scientist guy who's got a lot of power, uh, and they need to protect these creatures from getting exposed by the big scientist guy. That's the basic plot of the film. You've seen it a thousand times. Now we're on the same page. Now we can talk about this interpretation of that plot, which is not great. Uh... Who was the guy who got stabbed at the beginning? Oh, okay. So, yes. Because <laughs> he gets stabbed to steal the pictures. That I understood. And later they mention him just to say, hey, did you know this guy died? And he's like, yeah, yep. okay. Yeah, he is a non-essential non-imp- character who just gets stabbed to illustrate how evil the villain of this movie is. Mm-hmm. Also... I don't know the names of anybody except for the two main humans in this film. Oh. Um, and so the, I just kept calling him Beardface throughout the entire film. The I think British he's guy's a name professor Nigel. is all I remember about. Yeah, Nigel Professor Beardface. But yeah, there's Professor because so... Eric. His name was Eric. Sure. A lot of the, like, I found some information about it while, you know, looking. And apparently he was her former teacher when she was in school for paleontology stuff, which I don't remember ever coming up in the movie. But this is what other people were commenting about, that apparently this was her postgraduate study. So that's why they were there for six months. Uh. Okay. Or something, I and know then that, and that's that why was he was able to try to claim that this was his discovery is because she was not really a professional or right. She wasn't a full doctor yet. Yeah. She hadn't published her work. So the guy who died, my understanding is, uh, Beardface has been tracking this animal for years and trying to get a hold of it, and the guy who died had some evidence, and Beardface would not let another person make the claim to his discovery, the thing he's been working so hard for. And so he tracked down this guy who had some proof of it to kill him to protect his discovery until he could find better proof. It's so badly done because it's the first thing that happens in the movie. Oh, yes. 
Well, right. no, the so first this, thing that happened in the movie is yeah, 10 so, minutes of a parade. Yeah, right. Uh, that's... Also, boobs. Gotta mention those boobs, because they are <laughs> out and they are there. It's very National Geographic. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So this takes place in a part of Africa. This parade is done by the native people there. I think it is true to what their culture is and not Hollywood trying to represent them or rather misrepresent them. But yes, there are some topless women in this parade. I assumed that these were native tribal people. It did seem like they were celebrating a heritage of the land with this parade. It, it, It seemed like it was some traditional event or holiday or celebration. There was something happening that was special to the, 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 Right. Locals that they and it has nothing to do with beard face stabbing this guy. It was just it was cover it was just, for him people to be- dancing. Yes, exactly. It was cover for the noise of stabbing, except- which I guess could be loud. <laughs> except the fact that did anyone else find the sound design of this parade really, really strange? Like- no. I no? so I don't remember a lot of it. I oh. saw this thing last week. I don't remember a lot of the music. I remember the parade no, went on far too long. There was no yeah. sound. Like, ah. It was weirdly like this huge parade. And it looked like they were all being very loud and like yelling and celebrating and clapping. And all you hear was slight the drum. There was yeah. like the drum beat. There was all like the, the drum noise. music. But all the other noise didn't come through. So it was very weird. Okay, because I I did have a note of that at the beginning of the film where it takes a good 10 to 15 minutes to hear any dialogue. Yeah. Because even the murder of Beardface stabbing this guy, it is done silently. They don't talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, The guy who gets murdered has a vague sense that he's being followed but doesn't really know why. And it's just, it's very strange to start a film without any sort of sound to bring the audience into it. The other thing that this film does that is a cardinal sin in film is to have text that the audience needs to read at the very beginning to bring them in and establish what's going on. Uh, Star Wars is maybe an exception to this rule, but in general, don't make your audience read. A film is a visual medium. And there's this whole block of text it puts up uh, explaining uh, how in equatorial rainforest, there's this creature that is called this by the natives. People tried to find it, but they can't. My thing is, it's not necessary at all. Like, Right, exactly. Because really, like, the fact is, all of that, like, that's so generic. It doesn't explain anything. I have the exact text here. Uh, it's really what I just said, but the actual text is, In equatorial rainforests of West Africa, rumors persist of a huge reptile-like creature, uh, said to be larger than an adult elephant. Natives call it Mokale Mobi Mumbe. Numerous expeditions have been mounted in its pursuit. So far, none has met success. Yeah, and... Completely unnecessary. Point, Nothing I mean, they I just already said. bring you in showing that they're digging for bones and that you're trying to find something, so you would have just figured out what it was eventually. But, it but I'm glad you brought up Star seem. Wars, because as soon as you said not to make people read, that's what I was going to say. So. And it Even that is moving text. This lie. is static on the screen. Because apparently this is based on a real, like, cryptid myth of that area. 
Because okay. it did have a Wikipedia link. Um, but they don't make that seem like a real thing within the thing. Because the fact that they're paleontologists, and I assume on this dig there's maybe archaeologists or anthropologists with them as well. But yet when they're talking about things, no, that that the fact that there's any sort of like historical context of this myth within the earth is never brought up ever until they get to the village and the guy starts saying the name as he's dying of food poisoning is the first time that the name or the idea of the myth gets brought up ever. So the only people that know it, the first level deep tribesmen living in the jungle because they're the ones that they know are there and that they go to specifically. And then there's the second level deep tribesmen living at the jungle jungle that they stumble on by accident exactly (laughs) which is oh boy do i remember like and you only stay with each of them for like like the first one they're there five minutes just for them to die of food poisoning to say hey we ate some bad brontosaurus and Uh it killed us and maybe we should have stuck like not picked up dead roadkill that happened to be a dinosaur <laughs> off the side of the well, road. I don't, no, because they they said the somebody went out hunting, didn't they? No, but they found it dead. Oh, right. They said that they found it dead. So before we move too far past the parade, my <laughs> last note on this is the guy who dies. Right, Beardface is there, stabs the guy, gets the photos. These photos aren't good proof. They're the level of quality of a Loch Ness yep. Monster photo or a Sasquatch no, photo. It basically is the Loch Ness Monster photo. Yeah, that's basically photo, what the picture legs. looks like. My note says he finds legs. a picture of a water spout. <laughs> like, this isn't concrete proof, and he just killed a man to get this evidence. But that's who he... Now, I, I was going to say, for most of the movie, Professor Guy... Um, Beardface. Right. So Eric. there, there are points I, I don't un- always fully understand his character because there's that he stabs uh-huh. the guy later on he kills someone else yet he's always telling people oh well we want to keep the animals safe and he's all sad when they get when they get killed when the dinosaur did gets shot to death he's sad and I would like to think that's because of his he wants the money motivation, which is kind of what you see from him the rest of the movie. But that's not what he says. He's like, oh, it was one of a kind and you killed it. And it makes it feel money? like he's sympathetic about it. But at the same or time, like- well, I think it's that he cares more about pursuing this mythological creature, something he's devoted his life to finding. He cares more about these objects of desire than he cares about human life. I, I think there is an interesting story here that with his motivation that they could have done with the idea. And it's an interesting story they did not explore. In oh, the no, they did not. <laughs> um, but this idea of needing to find this creature and finding it alive, which she talks about a little with the fact that she's like, I wanted to find something new and interesting before I go back. I wanted to make a breakthrough. And this idea, they could have developed this whole thing where he's so obsessed with finding something because of this idea where scientific research and being an academic, you in like, especially these, these, um, niche certain, fields. these well, these niche fields and these universities and stuff, you are so focused on to keep your job and to get things, you have to be constantly publishing studies. You have to be writing papers. You have to have fine. Publish or perish. Yes. 
And so they could have, with the fact that she mentions that very on, they could have given him this motivation of, I need to find this discovery that will make my name, that will make me famous. I need this that will blow everyone out of the water so that I can, I can but, have, see, like, I feel think safe. he already was famous because when... Right. When she's talking about this bone she found and he and she's trying to explain to him something in a book and he says, you don't have to explain that to me. I wrote it. So I think people already kind of know who he is in that world. But I think there's this constant. And and I mean, I saw that with the fact that um, the college that both Carl and I went to is a technically a research institution. Sure. You, you get like I had a professor basically tell me students come second. Our research comes first. Um, huh. I did. That's it was great. Rude. Mm-hmm. Um, but technically true. So I think they could have worked with this, make him have this constant obsession of needing a bigger and bigger find to kind of like this obsession with academic knowledge and make it less about like the boring, like it's always about money and like this hunter thing, but to make it more about the the obsessive need for knowledge within this academic setting, when she already mentioned earlier, would have been interesting. But did they do that? No, they did nothing. This entire movie. You know what they did? They did follow the motivation of of George, which is basically to make babies. Was his motivation just, for most of the movie? He just wants to go. <laughs> so home. we have not explained to our audience who George and Susan are yet. We are getting to it. But <sighs> Susan's the worst. Oh, they're both the worst. I like George better. <laughs> uh, in reference to the notes about Beardface, the professor, Eric, explaining all the characters to the people <laughs> who haven't seen it. And never will. Is they placed him as this guy in the academic society who has a lot of power. In the film, he has connections to the military of Africa. He has connections to the president of the country that they're in because he says to one of the military that he's with stick with me i'll talk to the president you'll be a general when all this is done he He has connections why though no he has connections to the academic field in the states because he tells susan when she is leaving hey tell me what university you want to study at tell me what research facility you want to be at i will write you a recommendation and assure that you get a top position there this is another movie that makes paleontologists seem way more interesting than they (laughs) are in real life so this guy is clearly at the top of his field has connections to place any qualified student anywhere but the other thing because you mentioned susan wanted to make a discovery She's only been there for six months. It's very naive for a PhD candidate to assume that they're going to discover something that will change the world in their first six months of researching something. She drives, I don't know if it's Sean Young and Sean Young just has crazy eyes, but she drives me nuts. Speaking of, let's get into George and Susan, the driving couple of this film. (laughs) As Mark mentioned in the synopsis, Susan is a PhD candidate there to help the professor with his studies. George is her husband who has come along for the ride, who is an author for a newspaper. Beginning of the film, he gets a new job so he can be on the sports desk. And he asks Susan, well, he tells Susan, we've been here for six months. That was the deal. We need to go back now. So so they must have had like something where I'll give up whatever job and things I've been working on and hang out in Africa while you do your research. But then we're going to go back 
so we can both have a job because obviously I can't be a sports journalist. Well, yeah, he was trying to train people how to play baseball, apparently. Yeah, and he got mad at the natives because they couldn't understand the rules of baseball, which is (laughs) rude. Very rude. To be fair, I find his rudeness better than hers. Oh, yes, they're both the worst for different reasons. I understand he is a long-suffering husband of this woman who he agreed could pursue her degree in Africa for six months while he was there with her to love and support her. When that time is up and when he needs to go back home to get a dream job so that she can support him in the same way, she she leaves. But also- Yeah, she leaves and he wakes up to a note from her. But he's also annoying in a very straightforward way. Like, I understand his motivations. He wants to go home. He wants to have a normal American life where, like, they're married. He just wants to go home and settle down and be normal and not live in the, like, in the middle of nowhere. And he also, he doesn't understand working with these, like, rural populations because guess what? He probably has a normal journalism or English degree. He's not an anthropologist or any of that. He doesn't understand how to do this job. Oh no, he should not be here. But the reason that he's the worst is this is a married couple who has talked about having children and Susan is hesitant because she wants to pursue her career. And his only argument is, well, I'm one of six. I need to have babies. And like, (laughs) that seems to be his only argument for starting a family with her. And he's mad at her for making her own decisions. She's the worst because she keeps being like, I'm noble and I'm making, like, I'm going to save, like, I'm like, and she goes to like these like local people and she's like, I'm going to like communicate with these people. And she's not, she's terrible. She's really bad at what she's doing. So a running theme throughout this film is that this couple doesn't have a plan. No. And it they never had a plan. Uh, Susan is... Uh, let's see, to back up, the Red Cross worker comes with a bone, mm-hmm. and somehow he knows this is not a mammal, somehow. Probably, it must be because they told him that when they said yeah. that yeah. they ate it, this, I guess. This Red Cross worker is not a bone scientist. He doesn't know where this bone came from, but clearly not a mammal. So I guess it's not a giraffe and therefore has to be a dinosaur. Because I the- hear hooves and I think zebra. How does the Red Cross doctor somehow find this information and know which certainly... This is not a mammal, but yet this paleontologist, who at least has two degrees, if she's in between her master's and her doctorate, if we're assuming, is somehow can be tricked by her teacher to say, oh, I think it's a dinosaur. No, it's a giraffe. Those things don't, they shouldn't be any. (laughs) So I would guess, maybe. I'm not a bone scientist. I never claimed to be a bone scientist. I would guess that the neck bone of a brontosaurus, which has a very long neck, might be similar to a giraffe who has a very long neck. That is We already established, though, that he's Mr. Top-Tier Scientist Guy, so if you're a student and you're coming to someone who's supposed to be an expert and they tell you something, you're probably going to believe what they say. But I just assume if they're different, one's a mammal, one is a, I don't know what these creatures are supposed (laughs) to- Reptile. Probably a reptile. (laughs) No, because some dinosaurs evolved into birds. Well, sure, at but the they time, would have a common ancestor who was probably a reptile. But, yes, but but 
cold-blooded, but it, they might have different structures, different even bone de density. Sure. They might be hollow for all I know. They might Who's be to say? made of made of diamonds. They're not made of diamonds. <laughs> I don't diamonds? know. I lost my mind a little bit there. You stop, lost the train of thought. <laughs> but I'm the like, train of thought derailed. They should not look the anything is alike. They are. They should not look anything alike. No, because they're shouldn't. two different. Complete is this the, is this Sarah, Sarah ranting about Sarah, body parts again? Sarah, are you a bone scientist? <laughs> no. Then maybe they are similar. We have to we to have be. to give the film the benefit of the doubt. This is the Do first we? act. No. <laughs> the film is establishing that this bone could be similar. We have to believe. No. It. We're not. Scientists. I believe nothing in this movie. All right. So let's talk more about this couple who is the worst. So everything that George does once she leaves is just so petty and so spiteful. Like, yes, she should not have left without talking to him about it because she's pursuing this wild dream. She thinks that she's going to make a discovery of a lifetime in a weekend, even though she's been there for six months and has not accomplished it, and has, doesn't have real proof or a plan of how to do it. Uh, and then he chases after her by chartering um, a helicopter, and like his conversation with the helicopter pilot is just like, she leaves me a note, like I'm a milkman, whatever that means. It was an airplane. This does make sense. You leave a note for the milkman to tell him how many bottles of milk you want. Sure, but okay. I've never had a milkman. It did seem like he was relating a, he, she leaves me a note, just like she did when she left the milkman to be with me. It seemed no, that, it was very convoluted. That's a difference reference. Okay. You got the wrong milkman reference. <laughs> and then she, he just, he keeps saying, I can't let her get away with it. And the pilot responds, well, I just whip the bitch. <laughs> yeah. This, this line is so inappropriate, and yet I laughed so hard at it, <laughs> just because it just, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And also, the moment after it where they just kind of stare at each other for a good 10 seconds, just like, hmm, like, did that <laughs> line happen? Just, yeah. it's not good, it's not well done, and yet I found it hilarious. That guy, though, the pilot... That guy is a character from a different movie. Right. The pilot and Nigel might be my favorite two characters in the whole movie, and they have the least amount of anything going on. Now, it's not saying that I like them. It's just that they have the good lines, I guess. Which Nigel's the prissy British assistant to okay. the bad guy. Because I also didn't know his name, and so it was Beardface and Flamboy. <laughs> because he was a flamboyant yes. boy. Yes, he was. Neither of them belonged in this movie. They are no. both from different genres. Different, better movies than this is. Like, the pilot was like, I don't know what he... He reminded me of a character from Cool Runnings or one of the yeah. guys from Georgia the Jungle. Yeah. Which is also referenced in this movie because his name is George. And when he was digging, oh, she said she was That's telling him fine. how good a job so, he did when he was getting fruit off the tree. And he says, Georgia, the jungle. I thought you meant cool runnings. And I'm like, no, I don't runnings. think that movie had did come out Did the dinosaur yet. bobsled in this? I was like, I didn't think that movie had come out yet. And I was very confused. But George of the jungle. So like does. when George catches up 
with Susan when she's trying to deal with this Aborigine man to figure out where the dinosaur that he ate that he got food poisoning from is in the jungle. <sighs> uh, he gets there and she doesn't even acknowledge that she may have talked to him about it and she might have done something wrong here. As soon as he gets there, she's just like, oh, cool, you're here. Come help me with what I'm working on. Like, she is so blinded she, she, to the think, fact that her husband is at, mad at her. Well, at that point, it was the fact that he stuck there regardless because they didn't have a way to get back because the whole thing was it was going to take two days, and at that point, he was already going to be late for his new job. So she said, oh, well, you're already here now. It must not matter because you're also, already going to be two days late. It's so so busy trying to determine where this bone came from. She does not care that this man is dying. The chief of this village is writhing in pain on his like deathbed and she's just like, where is the bone come from? Where did you find this animal? What side of the river? And he's like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Oh, just draw me a picture then. And she's like, it looks like a brontosaurus. This man is oh. dead. Yeah, also, I mean, the man was dying, but this is not a good picture. I mean, the, he drew the feet as triangles. I mean, this is this is like children's work. But they're doing all sorts of, like, dancing and, and drumming and stuff. More boobs. And oh, no, that's when, later. When <laughs> they come in, that's the different, that's tribe level that, Those two. are different boobs. <laughs> But when they come inside, the pilot who can speak some of this dialect says he's the chief, he's preparing to die. It's kind of assumed whatever they've interrupted is maybe some sort of ceremony for the yeah. death of the chief. And this lady is just like, can you answer my questions? Can you help me with my problem? They already had people wrapped up on some kind of, like, on the he's ground. he's, like, the last so. one, because like, he says everyone who ate is dead or dying. Right. I assume they want to... Well, he's still living and some people have already passed. Uh, but they, they want to honor their dead. This is what the ceremony is. And in fact, the pilot stops George before he is about to walk through the middle of their ceremony. And he's like, go behind. Right. But it just illustrates how ill-prepared Susan is to do any goal that she sets her mind to. Because she went there without bringing anybody who speaks their language. She had no way to communicate to these the people there. to but find neither, the information she neither wanted. Neither did the Red Cross. Because she's with the Red Cross guy still. Did the Red Cross not have any translators? I don't know. Maybe well, they did. It's they've just been and there so longer. At this point, though, right? So we're assuming she's trying to get a PhD or something. She's there apparently as a paleontologist because she was digging stuff up. Yes, she now says she's she a paleontologist. Now she is diagnosing food poisoning victims. And then she's going to go wandering through the jungle looking for she doesn't know what. So it, so this has nothing to do with basically her training anymore at all. Right. Also, like, paleontologists go to dig sites, they find bones, and they try to reconstruct what these animals were like. That's their entire job. I don't know if they know living species that I, well. I don't think the Red Cross needed her there. I think they just brought the bone because they're like, hey, we thought it was, what did they think that was, cholera or something? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like cholera. That. It turns out it's food poisoning. We just need help identifying this bone so hopefully we can figure out the source of the outbreak and maybe have tell people, hey, don't eat that again. Right. And she's like, 
I won't help you with your problem, but this does help me solve my and own. I bet that Red Cross guy is like, hey, yeah, this is not what I needed help with. I just wanted you to be like, hey, this is probably what it's from. Warn the, the locals, this, this tribe and the other locals in the area. Hey, watch out for this. This is what caused the food poisoning before. So they they find out that the chief draws like a brontosaurus. And she's like, well, that's what I'm looking for. You say it's a bad drawing, but I think it's great because these are not normal brontosauruses. These are the fattest dinosaurs <laughs> when they find them. Oh, we can ever get to the epic dinosaurs. But before we do, I will give this film one good note. It is an incidental thing that they do well because it is only tangentially related to the plot that is going on, which is they do a very good job of illustrating how remote this jungle is. Like, the amount of time that we see them traveling from one site to another, it definitely illustrates how isolated they are in this world. Like, how how it makes sense that nobody has come across these dinosaurs before. The film does a good job of illustrating they're in a very remote section. A lot of people have not come through here. And and some of the, like, setting and scenery stuff with, like, the, the locals and the actual, like, I assume these were actual people who lived in the area because these seem like real dialects spoken, not, like, made-up nonsense and stuff like that. That's great. It's just when then the main characters start interacting with that stuff, you're like, oh, no, I've lo I'm lost again. Like, Speaking of, as we're going through the plot, we are at that point. George and Susan decide to head out into the jungle to find this thing. Where are they going? They don't know. Um, but they come across they a get, tribe. They get told by who is supposed to be their... The, the pilot's like, yeah, I'm not staying. He leaves. He finds them another guide who doesn't want to help the, hit them and gets like bullied into it by the pilot. And then he's like, well, that guy's gone. I'm going to row off in a boat and leave you guys because I don't yeah. want to be here. So, and, and I, I don't guess know the what pilot the point of that was. Two rafts because they also had a raft. Like the guy who went back to town without just escaped this yeah. job that he was given to do, like, took a raft with them, and then these two happened to have another boat and in the middle of a they jungle. They never took this as a sign of. Hmm, maybe this isn't like yeah, a good place maybe to we're ill-prepared for this expedition. Maybe we should get, I don't know, supplies or a guide. Or more than three people. Yeah, like, or f more food than we've packed with us when, for this small When the guy we time. bullied into being our guide just legs it out of there, maybe this is a bad situation. So do you, you have any theories about why he didn't want to go? Like, I don't know if he was scared because he knew the rumors about this beast that's out there or if it was because of, like, tribes not getting along. He didn't want to go out there and get attacked by this jungle tribe out there. So it seemed to me that the, um, I, d I don't even know where they got this guy because he's, he's not on the pilot's crew. He didn't come with George when he flew from the mainland or whatever. So I don't know where they got this guy, but it did seem to me that this guy didn't spend a lot of time in the jungle. We don't see him for a long time, but like based on what he's wearing, based on his general attitude, it does seem like he is more civilized. He knows his way around a town, maybe he knows his way around, you know, doing mechanical work or what have you, something that requires him to be in a city. And maybe he just 
doesn't go out into the jungle ever and has no business being there and doesn't want to serve as a guide to these two white folk who are going to assume that he knows things. Um, That's my assumption. He, like maybe a he was a boat trader? Like Okay. Like cuz he did they buy the radio off him? I think they got it from the pilot cuz that was how they were going to signal the pilot to come back. Okay. Like where did like Nothing is explained in this movie. Nah. People just show oh, up no. and they're yeah, like, Yeah, I had a note guy. about that later. At, at the one point, they go in the cave and just randomly everyone has torches. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, yeah, we can get to that cave because it's, oh boy, that's a scene. I don't know where that guy came from. I don't know why he was there. I don't know. He doesn't serve a purpose as a character because the minute he is introduced, he escapes. And he isn't originally there to be a guide. They ask him. Like, Susan is just like, and you're going to be our guide now. And he's like, no, that's he's not like, my job. Nope. Peace. That's I'm not what out. I do. And like, right. and then the other guy just yells at him until he agrees to it because he's like, that's not my job. Right. And Susan's I like, don't no. know how to do this. If I do this, I could die. I don't want to do Susan this. Susan is just like, you seem like you're from the area. That must mean you know how to walk through this jungle because that's like her assumption and everything is just like, you can help me. No, not you everyone You live can in this country. You were born in this country. You know, you must know your way through a jungle. Not everyone wants to help you, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Uh. Here's my question. Why didn't George just go home? Why didn't he just say, hey, I'll go home and start my job and you meet me back here in two weeks? Because he is committed to having children but and he needs can, this woman that, to have that's, children but that's like, the only woman he can have children with. like they don't well it's need. the one he's married to mark yeah. it's his best shot she says she'll it'll only take like she said it'll be a quick detour and it won't take that long we'll just Which miss, is a like, lie she doesn't it is know a that lie, but she says he's only gonna miss the first day or so of work why doesn't he just go home and she'll be like i'll make the detour and i'll meet you home in a couple days because i think he believes if she doesn't leave with him she's not gonna leave to be fair it's that true. Is exactly what's gonna happen right exactly he's perfectly like the fact that he feels like he needs to babysit her is perfectly within reason it seems like he's like like oh i'm the man and i have to make sure but she has perfectly like demonstrated that she cannot be trusted to not like uh -huh. go off on tangents in the jungle and be like oh yeah i know we're supposed to go but like one more thing just one more right, thing. right just one more thing i just need to make one more discovery we just need to spend five more years in the jungle is that okay go, i just just have to go find one more baby dinosaur and then we'll go home. And I gotta like, dig up one more bone and then the whole neck bone and then the face, so, just the like, face, and then you know we can what? leave. If I was him, I would have just gunned her and be like, no. Well, and, you know what? <laughs> I, wasn't that she she said something about, oh, there could be a, an entire skeleton there, and that is not gonna get dug up in a week. Do you know how long, how careful? You have to be, like, getting bones out. That takes so long. You have to use tiny, tiny, tiny little brushes. And, like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> this movie. Yes. So we are, we are at the point in the film where they meet, they meet the Aboriginal tribe. I think that's Immediately surrounds I think them. It only counts for 
Does that only count for Australia for Aboriginal? Maybe. Indigenous peoples? That works. Yeah, I think okay, that's... Okay, fine. I, I confuse the terms. Someone who's I'm an learning. anthropologist, please correct us, because obviously we are also not anthropologists or paleontologists. People. That's the important thing. We are not any ologists. So they get surrounded by this tribe who is going to attack them because of course they are. These are unknown people in their territory and potentially a threat. And Susan's immediate solution to George, the man who has stood by her, the man who doesn't want to be there and is begrudgingly going along with her, is just like, give up your expensive watch. Do it immediately. This Do it is, right now. This is, a, this is another thing that made me laugh because she treats them like they are tiny children. She's like, show them how it ticks. And he's like, it doesn't tick. Like So like that means it's possibly a Rolesque or was it just a digital watch? It was like, digital, it doesn't tick. It's digital. And that for some reason, how mad he was about that made me laugh so hard. Cause she's like, look, show them the shiny watch. Show them like show them the magic of science. So like And he's like, so it's a digital film, watch. Susan gets them into trouble and then it's just like, well, George, get us out of this. It's just like what do you mean, get us out of this? And and she does do that thing where she's like, she she goes to see literally anyone. Like, we we have several, like, we've talked about, like, try, tri like, group number one, group number two. We are, like, onion layers of, like, ruralness. This in, is deep in the jungle. And, but she, like, even in, like, the more, like, upper levels of stuff, she's like, oh, Locals of Africa, look at my, look at my fancy science and my fancy technology. Isn't it shiny and interesting? If they've never seen a watch before, this isn't going to make any sense to them. They may not have a concept of currency, and so they don't even understand that this watch could potentially be worth money that they don't use. But, like, that's what makes her, again, it's a good thing she's a paleontologist, because she's the worst at anthropology. Uh-huh. And so they eventually soothe the tribe by <laughs> shooting shooting them in the face with a camera. Um, it freaks them out. <laughs> and then and then five seconds later they're like I didn't know how picture. exactly to say that because it was either shoot them in the face or flash them, both of which are accurate but misleading. But like they then see, oh look, they it becomes a, a picture. Flashing them. Probably right. Um but like five seconds later, she somehow with them speaking two different languages. She is able to convince them to take a group picture? Yeah, it's very weird. It feels like there was like a deleted scene there. Because she takes like one picture and then they all look at it and they're trying to be convinced about it. And then suddenly it's like, oh, we're all good friends now. And everybody's laughing for, and smiling for the and she's fact taking that pictures. George hates everything about still being stuck here. And the fact that it seems to hate literally everything. He's actually better in this scene about dealing with interaction and cultural trade with them than Susan is, where she's like, ooh, look at my shiny, pretty trinkets. And he's like, okay, I'm going to try your, what I think is disgusting ant soup. Here, <laughs> right. try my weird granola bar. And is fine with them laughing at him. Yeah, so he's great because he makes no assumptions about these people. He is just trying to have a conversation with them as if they're, uh, he's in a suburb and they're a family that's just moved in across the street. He's just going to try to relate to them and try to build a relationship where she has assumptions on the, how much these people know and what they value. 
oh, it's a shiny thing. You guys like shiny things, right? And he's and just, just like, yeah, I no. hate this ant soup. This ant soup's gross. You want my also probably gross, like he calls it like weird hippie food or something when he hands over the granola mm-hmm. bar. Yeah, that's that's great. So this film does very few things well. One of the things they do well is this indigenous tribe. It felt like these weren't, uh, it felt like these were representative of African tribes in the way that they are segregated in male and female roles within those tribes. It seemed like the the outfits that they were given, the, the food that they're eating, it does give you a sense of being genuine and it's not Hollywood or whatever trying to misrepresent them. I think this film does a very good job at representing tribal Africans well. And it it definitely feels like they must have pulled, because I think they did film on location for a lot of... Yeah, I was wondering about how many of them are actors or if they just took actual people out in the jungle. Yeah. And they they very well may have given the speaking roles to actual actors just so, you know, you can get the film thing ready. I assume a lot of the background, most of this tribe, are actual indigenous people. And I assume they're not, most tribes and stuff aren't as separated to the extent with with anthropology studies and just with, with globalization and stuff like that. But if you have a culture that's still very connected to their roots and their traditions and stuff like that you take a group like that say hey could you we want to to portray this show us how that would look like and you be kind of the one in charge of of kind of what would this look like like if we were like going back a little bit in your Mm -hmm. your people's culture what would like that look like and so this might not necessarily be what those people actually are on a day-to-day basis. But if you're having those locals and stuff like that and saying, hey, you be the one to say that. And I, I don't know, but stuff like that. But it definitely feels like they pulled from from local extras and things like that as opposed to like shipping in all their extras from. And one of the things, uh, so as they stay with the tribe for the night, they get to this festival or something where they they build a giant bonfire. There's a lot of dancing. There's uh, smoking and drinking. And I really like this scene because it occurred to me that like we as Americans have an idea of what we do at night. We have an idea of our own entertainment and they would not have the same type of entertainment because the jungle just doesn't have electricity. And so it occurred to me like, oh, this is kind of what the tribe does to relax at the end of a day is they will have this party atmosphere. They will get a big bonfire. They will dance around it. They will have food and drink to either celebrate the day or just have something to relax after a busy day of hunting and gathering or whatever. And it was, this is very interesting to me because I don't often see that because my world is so far removed from this world. Did they, this was a part that I don't know if they explained very well. Oh, they sure didn't. Because Susan just says, hey, I'm starting to feel really weird. And then George is just there staring at nothing. And I'm assuming that there's some kind of jungle drug that they were drinking or something. <laughs> I 
So yes, uh, a follow-up to what I was just saying about, which only just occurred to me, you didn't interrupt anything, was uh, after they do this very traditional nighttime ritual of this indigenous people, they kind of ruin it because they give them a more mystical quality than just them being actual human beings. Uh, in that George and Susan look at each other, they talk for a second, they look back, and the tribe has disappeared, as if they were just mystical fairies in the night. And it just, that, why? Why did this film do that? You can either, like, yes, or you can be like, Susan and George are lightweights and can't handle their alcohol. So that's what, I no, thought they is. were just imagining the whole tribe was there. Yes, <laughs> Uh, that was my idea as well, but then the tribe keeps coming back. Yeah. It's true. They do shoot that guy in the neck. But no, like, it is supposed to be like, ooh, the, like, the American version would be the, like, oh, the 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 mystic Native American, and we had, there was something in the pipe that we smoked around the fire sort of thing, like, and it's like, ugh. <sighs> But I like the idea that Susan and George are just really stupid and they just had some like sort of like spiked punch and they just are real dumb. The much better way this film could have done that, though, is Susan and him look at each other. And when they look back, not only is the tribe gone, but it uh, is also mourning. So to illustrate Uh, that there has been a passage of time that they have not been aware of. Well, see, and what had occurred to me then is that okay well they imagine this tribe and whatever because they're high on whatever this drug thing Uh is that they're drinking but then that's at the point where they wander out in the jungle and start seeing dinosaurs so it's like well she's been digging for bones and thinking about dinosaurs so hard now they just pass out and the rest of the movie is just in their imagination because they start seeing dinosaurs that would have been a better film i think also part of this problem is the the passage of time is real bad like yeah i never know how long anything has taken in any particular scene like we've we've in this thing this thing that was supposed to be a short trip they have gone from one village to farther up the jungle to now this they've had a whole night party that somehow lasted so long they were able to have the party like space out for probably a little bit at least probably half an hour to an hour and still have long enough to like in while it's still like nighttime still we gotta have the dinosaur stuff so apparently night lasts forever in this jungle yeah because they went after the after the fire he was like well i guess we better set up camp because all the people disappeared so they built a tent and boy howdy this is where awkward let's talk about having babies in the jungle Mm -hmm. yeah well it's worse than that so like this is another reason george is the worst because they do after the tribe disappears it is nighttime. They decide to, well, let's just set up the tent and go to bed. And they do this. And George is in the mood. And it's just like, he tries to start something. And Susan says politely, not right now. I'm not really in the mood. And he his response is just, oh, come on. Which is not great well, if, in a, no, a but married couple. Like, they, I feel like someone's watching me and, and he says something about... She says, what if the tribe like, is still out there watching? And he's like, and she, well, and then he they says, can let watch. Him watch. <laughs> so he's clearly in the mood. She's clearly not. And it seems like if they aren't interrupted, which luckily they are, but... she's going to have an uncomfortable sexual experience just to suit him. Every Everyone's everyone's awful in this. You know what? I 
I take it back. I think the evil guy should be allowed to capture the dinosaurs and put them into a zoo. Because frankly, I think that would have been safer for them than ever having met Susan. Probably. Probably true. Luckily, they do get interrupted by a brontosaurus who comes charging in and ruins their tent for no reason um, and then stomps off. Uh, so my assumption, the explanation of why the tribe disappeared is that this tribe fears these creatures and was aware that they were coming and took off, leaving Susan and George here. No, I, I mean, I don't know. I It was either that they're really scared of them or that they're like a sacred animal to them. Yeah. Because she showed him a drawing of it when they were at the campfire and that was right before they all disappeared. And then right when the tribe disappeared, you hear this noise from the jungle, like a creature sound. So it is probably that they disappeared because they knew that the that the dinosaur was around. But I don't know if it's that they were scared or that it's some animal that they... It's so revered to them that they're not allowed to be there to look at it or something. And after their tent is opened by a dinosaur that refused to die, Susan is finally able to convince George, hey, I'm not really in the mood anymore, even though she never was to begin with. <laughs> Anywho, that scene creeped me out real bad, and George is definitely the villain of that scene. And so, like, really, both people in this relationship are not great. I think they need marriage counseling. <laughs> Maybe a divorce. We have gotten by likes and measures to the dinosaurs, which they finally meet about halfway through the film. Uh, also leading up to this, uh, Beardface and Flamboy are riding up the river with the military, basically in pursuit of the same dinosaurs that these guys are. Which he was in a complete... This is why I don't know how long this took, because he was in a completely different location, learned that they went to the at the first village at least, and then in that time where he got that news that they were at the first village, which had to have taken some time, packed up all his stuff, got his army buddies, floated down the river to where they were, which who knows how far apart those things were, and this is supposed to take how long? How long did this take? I have no idea. Well, Susan said it would take less than two days, and I trust her. <laughs> For all I know, they've been in this jungle a year. The part that I love, they're wandering in the jungle and just kind of come up over a hill and suddenly there's a dinosaur in the lake. And ba, they're, ba, 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 ba. they're looking at it, right? And they're cut. Kind of, she's like, oh, I need to take pictures. And then she says something like, I can't believe they're this far south. And I'm like, what? You're a paleontologist who was looking at bones. Suddenly you see a live dinosaur and you're not surprised by it at all. Let's talk about these dinosaurs because <laughs> boy howdy they are not great you know i read a thing about that too first off they are not cgi they are um real props it does seem like their entire bodies are made out of like foam rubber or like that really thick rubber material mm -hmm. everything seems to be almost folding over itself they are i think they make mention that susan thought that they would be more scaly because that's traditionally what dinosaurs and lizards look like 
instead these creatures are smooth. I think that's a limitation in the materials that they made the costumes out of and just had to work the, with The them. thing that How I read I said it? that the director was disappointed in them, but they didn't have that they didn't have the technology to make them as good as he wanted to. And so he said one of his biggest difficulties in the in the movie was finding the right angle to film it from to make it look as realistic well, as possible. He and- sure did not find it. <laughs> I described the baby as looking like a potato covered in electrical tape. Yeah. Also, like, the baby gets the most screen time, mm-hmm. which we'll Creepiest get into eye. why that is. But, like... There are so many close-ups of this thing. It's it's weird to say, but for me, the baby was Uncanny Valley. Terrifying. Which is usually something only allowed for humans, but, like, this just looked so close to being right, but just slightly off. I think the pr- they gave it bright green eyes, and I don't know what... Why did they give it bright green eyes? I don't know, because it's a mythical creature. It's so weird, but that that thing is way too fat. Like, it's so round. It's so Also, the way the baby moved, it did just seem like, well, that's clearly a guy in a bad Halloween costume. that's what I was going to ask you. I I tried to look at stuff, and that was how I found that other article. But I never found, like, how they actually made the dinosaurs walk. And it just, to me, looks like it's the baby, especially because it's a smaller size. It's probably a person just hunched over on all fours. Uh Uh-huh. Because yep, for sure. it, you know, you like the those horse costumes where you would fit two people inside it and have them both walking. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that this was big enough to put two people inside it that way. So it must have just been one person. It reminded me a lot of the uh, the Rous costume from the Princess Bride, <laughs> where it is just a a man in like tights inside a latex suit. Like, it's the same quality, which I love The Princess Bride, but that costume is maybe the worst thing in it. I Now, the, the, the adults, which I don't know if we need to get in, there are some parts where I think that maybe they are miniatures, like a marionette almost. See, I like the adults better because they are always shot from a very far distance, and, like, in the few times where you get them full screen it did seem like uh, they just were of a better quality which is weird to say like maybe it is just the angles thing where because they were in the film for so short a time Mm -hmm. they could be shot from very static angles where they actually looked kind of good whereas the baby is in the film for a good portion of it and has to be shot from all sorts of different angles but yeah the parents looked way better than the child i just know at one point uh, well, multiple times where the, the adult dinosaurs will fall to the ground and it just feels like they have no weight at all. Like there isn't a crashy noise and the ground doesn't shake or anything. <laughs> but but fair. especially like there's, which we'll get to later, but where one of them is running and the feet are like hardly even touching the ground for that scene. So I, that's why I'm kind of get the feel of a marionette more than somebody inside of a costume because if somebody was inside it, you would think it would actually be have to be touching the ground. <laughs> so we're you said we get to it later. We're practically there now. Uh, so we? what happens here? <laughs> kind of. We're gonna skip a bit because 
they have this whole thing where the dinosaurs chase Susan and George off at first. And then, like, a second later, they're saying, well, they finally got used to our scent. Mm-hmm. Meaning they've probably been there for a while. Again, it doesn't fit into that two-day time frame. Uh, but they've become friends with the dinosaurs, I guess. Friends enough that they don't feel bad they, they luring the baby. They started feeding the dinosaurs at one And I think that was, that was before they became friends. But yeah, I don't know how long it had been. And again, Susan has the idea... Let's feed the dinosaurs and then says, George, why don't you go collect all the fruit and then I'll put it together and then my plan will work. So why don't you do all the actual physical labor and then we'll have my plan and that'll be great. Anywho, so they lure the baby because they want to be able to track these dinosaurs, which is, oh boy, also ethically questionable. Um, but it's done a lot in scientific studies where you track a a certain species. You can see kind of where they travel to have a good understanding of, you know, how they migrate, learn about a species. That was probably the least unethical science that they did in the film. So they lure the baby in order to do that. Uh, just as the, um, beard face, Eric and his assistant come with the army and encounter the mother. Which, I mean, Eric did have a plan here in that he shoots it with tranquilizer darts because this is his discovery. He has finally found the one thing he's been looking for for years. And honestly, he doesn't seem that surprised that it actually exists. Like, he doesn't seem to revere it in any way, even though this has been his object of desire for, let's guess, a decade. He just immediately shoots it twice with a trank gun and it collapses to the ground. I got the feeling from him that he had maybe seen it before because he said he's been tracking it for years, which makes me think that he knew that it was a live creature and not just bones that he's looking for. And then he had the photos of it at the beginning when he killed that guy. That is true. So I feel like he might have known it was there. He was just trying to actually be able to catch it. Okay. Because my interpretation of him tracking it was that he had found bones of this creature But through carbon dating or whatever, he was able to determine, like, these bones are not from an ancient creature. These bones are from, let's say, 10 years ago. So a fairly modern creature and possibly one that is still living out there. That could be, too. Yeah, and this is where the the father charges in and things do not go well for that dad. It's time for the land before time moment. (laughs) Yeah, except this time we kill a dad. That's because Littlefoot didn't have a dad. Yeah, uh, presumably a Tyrannosaurus already ate his dad. I don't know, maybe they explain it in one of the 14 sequels. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he doesn't meet his dad in one of those 14 sequels. Anywho, after tranking the mom, the dad comes in because he thinks the mom is dead, and he starts attacking them. And so instead of just tranquilizing this second creature so that they can, I don't know, maybe breed them in captivity and keep the species alive, they just decide to murder the dad. And this was, again, something... We saw a shot earlier where they're all in the boat traveling on the river... And the guy said something about, was it really necessary to bring all these army guys or whatever? Because he's worried about them being trigger happy. And so, and then here they killed the dad and he says something about a hundred million years. Do you have any idea what you've done or something? So again, this is where I feel like he is 
almost a real scientist again instead of just somebody out to get his prize where now suddenly he realizes what's being lost and he's all mad about it. This part really bothered me. Oh, no, well, before we get to that, which is a part I haven't explained yet, um, (laughs) I do want to talk about the dad's death because this was one of the parts of the film where I actually felt something because as the dad is dying... He is trying really hard to get to this mom dinosaur, and he dies uh, with his face up against hers. It's almost a real, like, Romeo and Juliet uh, ending where, like, the father wanted to die next to his wife or whatever the dinosaur equivalent of wives are. And it just, it is a really lovely moment that in his final moments of living, he wanted to be to the person he was closest to. And while this film has really no good emotional notes, <laughs> this made me feel something. Like, I want to explore this couple more than I want to pursue uh, George and Susan's relationship. So the humans are awful, but the dinosaurs are fine. I yeah. mean, the dinosaurs that's... are great in this film. As far as characters go, like, their costumes are bad, but character wise, great. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to get to was George is half naked uh, because he was swimming and when they were luring the baby to track it, they come upon these guys with guns and the professor guy standing over a dead dinosaur and a tranquilized dinosaur. And his plan is to run in without a shirt on and just start yelling at these guys. This is a bad plan. He should have been shot. He just thought the shock of seeing him without a shirt on would be enough to stop them. <laughs> so seeing an army with guns that they've just fired, it just, it is wild to me that he would make the choice that, well, I'm just going to go up and talk to them. There's nothing that we can't discuss. I'm just going to talk to them like a civilized person and we'll solve this problem. Like, that's not how this works, bud. I think at the time they were trying to, because Baby was with them, and I think they were trying to keep it quiet because it saw its parents over there and wanted to go to them. They were like, we're going to get found out if we keep, if we stay here because she's making too much noise. And so he told Susan to take it off into the woods and hide the baby, and then he just ran out there towards them as a distraction. But yeah, I don't Maybe. know that that really did any good. <laughs> The only reason he survives this is this is when the mystical natives show up. They shoot little poison darts into some of the army's neck. And so now the army with guns has a different enemy to fight. And so George is able to escape, which was he aware of this? Absolutely not. He went in with no plan and barely survived, which is a running theme of this film. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to get to here is we've now established that Big Professor Guy has Mother Dino. <laughs> big Professor Beard Guy. Eric, Big Professor Guy, all the same guy. They have Mommy Dino. Daddy Dino is dead. George and Susan have Baby Dino. Susan's concern at this moment is if I can beat Eric back to the mainland... It will be our discovery. Then it's my discovery, <laughs> right? Which is absurd to me. She has no concern of getting the baby back to its mom. It's just, well, I saw the dinosaur first. Therefore, it's my discovery as long as I can prove it to other scientists. 
So if we can beat him back, then it's still my discovery. And it's just like, first of all, no, that's the wrong motivation. Second of all, this isn't true because Eric has all those connections. Even if she publishes something, Eric can just say, no, she was a part of my team and then took credit for my work. And that it's over. That's what I was going to say is she's been there for six months under this guy's tutelage, whatever word you want to use. So she's she's learning everything from him. And so now at the point that she has discovered something, it's, hey, I got to get this back so it can be my discovery, which is just what he's doing. So I guess she's just the same as he is. And like, it's not going to work. The only way this plan works is if you kill Eric. Like, you have to stop the bigger professor guy with the connections from claiming the discovery. But it's a, another plan Susan has that she has not fully thought through. So they, they what? They travel with the baby. Um, this is where well, they... This is where Is this they, where they the, lose the baby? This, they, they lose the baby because they're too busy trying to make their own baby. Yeah, which is... I I did not understand this scene. Like, I get they have to lose track of the baby, and that's important. Mm-hmm. There are other ways to do this, where the reason that this happens is this couple decides, well, let's have sex in the jungle. And, baby, don't watch us, because that's weird. So you should hit the road, even though you're the discovery of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. We want to lose track of you for, I don't know, let's give it an hour, and then we'll go find you, but stick around. Don't watch us, but stay close. And then as soon as they're done, she's like, wait, where'd the dinosaur go? <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. It's just like, maybe wait, maybe wait. And the jungle can't be the most comfortable place to do that. This couple has, like, the weirdest relationship and it seemed it i don't want to watch this couple be together in that way and that this film gives them ample opportunity and ample opportunity for us to watch that <sighs> so anyway they lose the baby uh they are <laughs> sorry he just said that very <laughs> so anyway susan loses oh, her baby well, i see <laughs> yes and they go to find it Uh, It is at this point, after they've searched for hours and they've called the baby's name out in the jungle, even though the baby doesn't know its own name, that George remembers, oh, right, we put a radio tracker on that thing. We could have just been tracking it with the radio the whole time. It's just like, George, God. Well, the other thing is, when they finally track it down with the radio... Instead of tracking baby, they end up say, finding Eric and the tied-up mob- mama dinosaur. And they're like, oh, well, why are we here? Where's the baby dinosaur? He must have come back to his mom, which is what it's been wanting the whole time. So they shouldn't have really been surprised by that anyway. I guess they didn't know where the mom was, but... Also, the baby isn't there. <laughs> yes. So, like... It's not that the baby went back to its mom, because the baby's not at this camp. The baby moved in such a direction so that the line between drawn between Susan and George in the baby happens to intersect the mom. Like, this is a crazy coincidence in a film full of coincidence, in a film that has already established how remote this jungle is. And this infuriated me again, because... <laughs> Susan says to George, we have to save the mother. And he's like, well, I agree, but do we? (laughs) Because the next thing that they do is they charge in on these men with guns with no plan. They don't wait until nightfall. They don't go in 
making sure that the, the guards are asleep. They don't monitor the camp at all. All they do is they swim over, they approach via shore, they get on the raft the mom is on, and then they just start cutting ropes, assuming that nobody is going to see them and that these men with guns won't shoot them when somebody lets the dinosaur escape. And also considering how tranked up the dinosaur is, just untying it isn't going to do a lot of good. Yeah, <sighs> excellent point. Yeah, it just, these two should have been shot so often in this Although, film. again, Nigel is the only one that cares about the dinosaur, because at one point they were, it was waking up while they were on the boat, and somebody shot it with the tranquilizer dart again, and its head fell in the water, so it would have drowned, because it would have just slept. And he's the only one that jumped in to try to save it and get its head back up so it could breathe. Yeah, it's just... My, I just I have a note here, which is, what is the matter with these two? <laughs> they constantly go into conflicts without any weapons, without any training, without any plan, and they expect to survive. They get captured here because of course they do. That's what happens when you go in without a plan. <sighs> this film bothered me a lot. <laughs> really? <laughs> Uh, so where are we? So they they get captured. Beardface Beardface kills the oh yeah the guy yeah, who yeah. is tranking the dinosaurs. A plot point that is never explored again. I assumed. Well, they did the the next morning. The army pulls them pulls George and Susan out and says, "Hey, this guy's dead, and we found this dart gun thing in in with your belongings. So you must have done it." But then, right, Professor Eric guy convinces them to keep them alive. Because he says, oh, well, they're in the CIA, but they're, they're, they'll, be they'll be helpful to us to have them around, so don't kill them yet. Well, what he says is, they're, they're CIA operatives. Trust me, I know this mm -hmm. somehow. And CIA operatives always have a cache of gold somewhere in the jungle, which is a wild thing. Like, he also doesn't need to keep George and Susan alive because the baby has a tracker on it. He doesn't need these two. These characters should have died here. Well, and the army people already knew that there were dinosaurs there that they were tracking. Why does he have to make up a story about treasure to get them to go after the baby? Because they already knew that it was there. Yeah, I don't know. Sarah, we haven't heard from you in a while. You doing okay? <laughs> okay. We can breeze past this next scene. This is the chase scene in the cave, mm -hmm. uh, which is, it is pointless because George and Susan escape. They take the baby. They try to run with the baby, even though the baby has a tracker on it. And George Eric can just track them through the jungle. It's this huge chase scene where they're able to escape the men with guns by jumping off an underground waterfall and hoping that it has an outlet over ground that they can fit through, which is a wild thing to assume about caves. <laughs> Spoiler alert, don't jump through cave waterfalls. It's a bad idea. And uh, at the end of the scene, the baby just runs off to be with Eric anyway, because Eric has its mother. So at that point, then, Eric has both of the dinosaurs, and now they decide, hey, we need to rescue both of them instead of just the mother. And do they have a plan? Absolutely not. But, they, I mean, they do, because they talk to the airplane pilot guy. No, no, no. They are sitting in the jungle, having lost the baby, having lost Susan's discovery, having no way to contact anybody because the equipment that they had was captured by Eric. And lo and behold, 
the mythical tribe leader shows up and she's like, come, follow me. Hey, look, it's that airplane you wanted. Now you can get back to civilization and start a new plan. It's just like any time they get into trouble, the mythical natives show up to help them. Well, also, how did the airplane get there? Because it dropped them off at the Red Cross place, not at the one up upstream. So it wouldn't have even known that that other village existed. Yep. <laughs> yep. This is the part where they just randomly go in and start killing everyone. Yeah, this is where they they mount a military coup using the native tribe to battle these men with guns uh, and using air support from the pilot guy who drops firebombs that don't really do anything. And they are somehow able to get to the mom and let her free and she is somehow not tranked up enough uh, that she can still stand and run after people. And it's just like, none of this makes sense for the characters that we've established George and Susan to be. The only reason this is happening is that the film needs a climax, but I don't feel like it's earned this battle scene at the and end. And this was where the natives come in with their bows and arrows, and the first guy they knock out, he picks up a machine gun and is like, huh? <laughs> and starts firing wildly. There's a really interesting thing here that I wish they would have pursued, but they didn't because this film is dumb. <laughs> it's that they are sneaking into this base, this city run by these military people where they have the bomb tied up and they sneak in silently. Now, the tribe has spears and has bows and arrows, both of which are silent weapons. If you're trying to sneak in and you want to take some people out, these are the weapons you can use to take them out silently. Had this been a scene of the tribe sneaking through and taking out individual men silently, that's really interesting. But the first guy they encounter, they ruin their surprise. The guy makes a lot of noise. He gets shot with a gun and then they just pick up machine guns. Which is, it's not incredibly interesting to me to have tribal people fight men with machine guns with machine guns. I mean, other than the fact he didn't know how to use it at first and kind of almost shot his own people with it, but... He seems fine with it after two seconds. Yeah, and then you said the mother gets cut free, and that's when um, Professor Guy is in a pickup truck with the baby in the back and decides to try to take off by himself. So mother chases them down. And this is the part I was talking about where her running just looks like she's floating with her legs going in the air almost. So oh, Okay, I thought you were talking about the father running in when the mm, mom dies. I, no, I don't. Well, it's probably about the same, but this was the one I remembered it from because you see a lot more of her running because it's a whole chase scene. Right, a whole chase scene where Eric, beard guy, has baby dino in his pickup truck. Uh, George and Susan find a motorcycle, which happens to be there, and start chase. And the mom is also chasing in the back, trying to get to her baby. Meanwhile, she kills the assistant flamboy, whatever, on her way. She, well, I mean, she did. She knocked down power lines that electrocuted him, I guess. Susan is finally useful in that while George is doing the work of driving this motorcycle, she finally does some manual labor by taking a wrench or a crowbar or, and smashing the windshield of the truck that the professor is driving, making him crash, but also disregarding any consequences to the baby. 
which is knocked out in the process, presumed dead. Yeah, and again, this is the part where Beard Guy climbs out of the smashed truck and crawls up to the baby and is like, and he looks all sad, like he, like... I guess it's supposed to be he's sad that he lost his prize or whatever, but to me it came off as he was genuinely sorry for having ruined this thing that had existed, you know, and now now it was the only one of its kind and now it's gone and but that's when the mom shows up and bites him in half basically and it's <laughs> my interpretation of that is he recognizes that a dead dinosaur is worth a lot less than an alive dinosaur, but he gets eaten anyway. He gets his just desserts. Or the mom does. Yeah, uh, and then George and Susan show up to look at the baby and don't get attacked by the mom for reasons. I think that's supposed to be because of the time that they supposedly spent getting the dinosaurs used to them, I guess. So the dinosaur knew who they were. Yeah, at this point, uh, this is the very end of the film. The baby does wake up. It's not one of those dead dino movies. I mean, it is, but well, that was not at that point. That's true. Nice to hear from you again, sir. <laughs> Sorry, I'm um, losing it. That's all right. Yeah. So they decide, why don't we just let this baby and mom remain legends? Which goes against Susan's motivation the entire film. And Susan's line was because the baby looks at them and she's in the she says something like oh no go with her you're hers not mine and i'm like oh god all yeah. you did the whole movie like you babysat for a while but even then you just let it run away it's not like it had a reason to think you were his mother now this this should not be the sign that like oh i'm i'm letting this baby go to his mother maybe this is like i i am maternal maybe like they it should be like hey we lost this dinosaur like 10 times we are not responsible enough to have children right now we yes. should not even have a pet right now they should both look at each other and be like yeah let's maybe start with a goldfish <laughs> and when that dies maybe we could have a baby yeah like they should be like yeah we should not be responsible for for any living creatures we got one killed and we lost one and we one got knocked out and we lost baby a girl baby's a girl right i like that discussion in that if these characters are having a discussion they are not considering the human lives that have been lost at all yeah. that seems very characteristic of these two characters but they should just be like nope we we caused so much distraction we should not be allowed anywhere let's go back to the bones let's go back to the bones bones can't hurt <laughs> they're already dead <laughs> all right well that that's the end of my notes for this i assume we've gotten through all of your notes as well yeah <laughs> yes all right let's go on to games Our first game is the pitch game, a game in which we put together two or three properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. I'm going to start us off here uh, telling our audience what Baby Secret of the Lost Legend <laughs> uh, is in terms of other things. Good God. <laughs> All righty. Um, so 
Since this is a film with an obsessive old man on the search for an elusive creature in a jungle setting who has only seen bones of it before, who does capture the creature alive but dies before his discovery can be made public, and a film where a brontosaurus-like creature gets separated from his mother after his father dies and meets humans on his way to get back to his family. I will say, if it helps you in guessing... There is a link between these two films uh, in addition to them being linked to this film. (laughs) Good. Oh, we should probably state for the audience that... uh, Oh, yes. In between the regular recording and the games, we have lost one of our hosts because she was not feeling well. So Right. You may have noticed Sarah not contributing a lot to the conversation towards the end of our discussion. She was present. She was listening. She was not feeling very well and so didn't feel like contributing or talking a lot, which is completely understandable. She has decided to lay down instead of continuing on to games. With she that. did She did send us what she had for her games, so we will announce them at some point. All right, Mark, do you have a guess? I have... N- no guesses. Uh, the second one, mm-hmm. the part I keep focusing on is running into humans while searching for it, its family. And okay. it, I want to either say Jungle Book or Tarzan. And those are the only mm, two I have in my head. But I don't think either of them are correct. The first one, I wanted to say Jurassic Park, except that you said it was an old man in the jungle searching for something he had only seen bones of, and I can't think of one of those that has only an old man in it. So I will say the old man, as in this film, I should have put this in the pitch game, is the villain of the film, and so most of the action does not follow him, even though he features prominently. Hmm. Are you sure this is a movie I have seen? Oh, absolutely. I will say (laughs) the... The pro- the protagonist of the film is another old man. Hmm. The creature he's looking for is a bird. Uh, what? Is this up? This is up. <laughs> that, hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay, and it has ties to the other movie somehow. Yes, with a brontosaurus-like creature. Oh, uh, is it The Good Dinosaur? It is. It is Up Meets The Good Dinosaur. You, sir, are no fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry you can't remember a very specific subplot of Up. Well, I was too busy trying to focus on the old man and didn't hear you say that the second one was a dinosaur, so I... Oh, I see. I missed half of that one, Um, but also something else but (laughs) i'm sure we'll come back to that one later (laughs) maybe we will also go ahead with your first all right my first one um so this is a movie with a group of so-called scientists traveling to a secluded land in search of extinct creatures when they find the creatures alive they trap them for transport back to the civilized world a couple decides to rescue the animals after the woman investigates the situation against the man's wishes. When a parent-child duo are captured, the parent breaks loose and goes on a rampage until being reunited with their offspring. And, <laughs> yeah, strap yourself in for that one. And a movie where a scientist takes tries to take credit for someone else's discovery, and two humans work together to save a baby from their former colleague. Huh. 
Well, we may have done one of these for the podcast, um, <laughs> because it, it does sound very much like this is Jurassic Park 2 meets Junior. That is correct. <laughs> yeah! Do you even know the name of Jurassic Park 2? Uh, was this The Lost World, or is that 3? It was. Yeah, Jurassic Park 3, I think, was just Jurassic Park 3. Okay, Jurassic Park 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah. All right, so this is hard one. Uh, it does fit. The one of them I don't know if you have seen. One I'm pretty sure you have seen, but it is a very specific part of it that you may not remember. So I will give you time to guess, but if, you, if you're not getting it, we'll just go straight to the answer. All right, here we go. So since this is a film with a field researcher on the hunt for an elusive creature, it has a rescue attempt made against men with guns and a group of people running around without a real plan of how to do what they're trying to do. And a film with a scene showing a couple living with aboriginal tribes in Africa that should maybe be indigenous, um, <laughs> indigenous tribes in Africa, and the man teaching them American sports. Also, one of the couple wants to go home and start a life, but the other wanting to stay. Also, also, unexpected boobs. Uh, so, the first one to me sounds like a Rambo movie. Um, <laughs> the one with a field researcher? Uh, there were, well, the last, not, was it the last one? All right, I don't I know which not one. Seen it was just Rambos. called Rambo. It's when he's old. Um, okay. Field researcher, huh? Nope. Ooh, there's also a connection between these two, but it's, um, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, I can tell you, like, the other connection between them. They both are about a specific, um, pressurized vehicle, though one of them is a vehicle for the sea and the other is a vehicle for the air. That may not help at all. Um, <laughs> now I'm thinking something else. Is one of them aliens? No. Ah! You have me thinking about space movies now. I know. I will say there, there's no space. The uh, one in the air is terrestrial. That's sad. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I've already guessed what I thought both of them were, yep, so you might as perfect. well just go. <laughs> All right. The one I think you haven't seen um, is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu. Correct. I have not uh, which seen Which was that. the first one. <laughs> the second one that I said you've probably seen but don't remember this specific scene is Airplane. There's a flashback of them living with tribes in Africa. So, yeah, nope, I sure didn't remember that. I I was thinking Air Force One when you said Airplane, uh, but I was like, <laughs> none of the rest <laughs> of it makes sense. So That's fair. All right. I'll, I'll warn you, my next one is worse, but go ahead. So I should just not even guess because... You are welcome to guess. I'm going to cut out all the time. I'm going to cut all the time you're thinking anyway, so take your time. All right, so my second pitch game. Uh, this is a, mo uh, a children's movie, including dinosaur death scene, where a young dino witnesses the death <laughs> of its parent and cries over their corpse. <laughs> the young creature forms an unlikely bond with others in search of safety from their common enemy. You'll never get that one. No, never. It's not one we've done for the podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> and... 
Uh, a movie where, while searching for fame and fortune, a group of visitors anger a tribe of natives and try to take a unique creature back to their home, only to have their plans ruined by the creature itself. Huh. Uh, well. <laughs> uh, because you mentioned it, is this The Land Before Time meets Alien? No. Although that okay. would have also been a good one. <laughs> Alright, what is your second film? I assume the first one is Land Before Time. Yes, yes, that is correct. The second one is King Kong. Ah, okay. I was thinking of King Kong during your first game, the one that was about Jurassic Park, of them going to a remote island and trying to take a species back with them. Alright. That's, I mean, the plot is almost the same on those two movies, right? So it sure is. All right. Uh, so this is one that is hard. I'm 100% sure you haven't seen one of these films. Oh, good. Uh, you might be able to, you might be able to guess the first one, though. All right, so a film in which a mythological creature gets adopted by a married couple while a man obsessed with the creature tries to capture it. At one point, the creature seems to be dead, but is revived, and goes home to live with their family at the end of the film. And a film with a man obsessed with making a fortune and securing his legacy, leading an expedition down a river by boat, running afoul by some natives and aided by others, whose expedition ends in ruin. Um, E.T. and the African Queen. That's not a bad guess. <laughs> I, I will give you a hint to the first one ah. and see if you can get it. I'm not worried about the second one. So it is another mythological creature as opposed to an extraterrestrial. I mean, are dinosaurs mythological? No, but they're, Sarah mentioned they had a myth about this creature. Mm. So think think like Loch Ness Monster, but not that mythological creature. Uh Oh, is that one that we have reviewed before? Not for this. Hmm. Harry and the Hendersons. Correct. I've never seen that movie. Me neither. <laughs> um, so the other one, which you didn't get, which I had no hope of you getting, so don't feel bad, is a movie called Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> I have not heard of this movie. <laughs> I have only seen it because I have a book on, like, the best films of the 80s, and it goes through every year of the 80s of all the major releases, and I think this film was released in 1981. I remember this film because of the crazy story of how it was made, which I will share with you and our listeners right now. So this was made by a man named Werner Herzog. You may have heard of him because he does documentaries on, like, the brutality of nature or whatever. But this, instead of being a documentary, was a fictional film. The story of which is a man is trying to make a fortune harnessing rubber from trees. There's one section that has been untapped yet, but to get to it, he would have to pass over all of these rapids. And so that's not really an option with the technology of the time. He decides, instead of gigging the river with the rapids, I'll take the river next to it. And on this map, there's a section where these two rivers are about an inch apart, which is really only a couple of hundred yards. So I'll just make the boat go over the land, get the rubber, come back over the land, and sail back and make a fortune. The reason this film is great is that in the film, the land he has to get over is a steep, muddy incline of about 40 degrees. And to do this, he hires the native tribes to rig up a pulley system and uses the wench of the boat to make a three-story, 300-ton boat go over a mountain. (laughs) The reason this is notable is Werner Herzog 
did not use special effects for this. He actually paid the indigenous tribes to literally pull a boat up a mountain. So that what you're seeing in the film is real in that the film is about an obsessive man pushing a boat up a mountain and was made by an obsessive man who actually pulled a boat up a mountain. So yeah, that's Fitzcarraldo. It is a wild thing that actually happened. We'll have to use that book to 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 pick movies to watch someday. <laughs> yeah, someday. Anyway, I've gone on too much about this film that I'm a little obsessed with. Mark, give so us your third one. So you are obsessed with a movie made by someone who's obsessed about a man being obsessed. Correct. Because it is Ooh. wild that a movie like that exists in the world. Okay. Well, hopefully mine is a little bit faster. Perhaps. <laughs> I might cut that whole thing out. We'll see. Oh, but it's cool information. Well, I liked it. I don't know about the listeners, but... <laughs> we'll see. All right, so this is my last pitch game. So it's a movie where a corrupted scientist looking for fame and fortune ends up digging in the wrong place, and a woman helping the injured protagonist clean up leads to making out. In the end, uh -huh. the legendary treasure is still hidden and lost to history. And a movie uh, where after losing his father, a young long-necked dinosaur joins forces with a human to defeat a common enemy. Now, now. Hmm. <laughs> you said long neck, and you've already used the one I'm thinking of before. Uh, so you said one of mine was going to come up again. <laughs> so I will guess, being technically accurate, Ra Raiders of the Lost Ark meets uh the good dinosaur y maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's not fair because some did you watch the good dinosaur i have seen it yes some of these are movies that are so i guess i can't call that obscure because i mean it's a right Disney, i Pixar mean it is thing, pixar but it's Pixar's one of those that's not films. talked about as much as some of their other ones yeah and for good reason it's not the same quality of film yeah, I mean, I liked it, but it's not quite up there with some of the others. But yeah, so I left it till my third one because I was like, oh, nobody else will have this. Nobody knows what this movie is. <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've seen a lot of Pixar. Yeah. Most of them. I haven't seen Brave or Coco, and that might be it. Oh, you should. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so it is time for Sarah's game. Oh, yeah. I will try to make something up. She didn't tell me what the reasoning is. She just gave me titles of movies. Oh, boy. I can't wait to hear your reasoning. Uh, I will say that this first game of hers... Actually, let me see. She has two, and all four of her movies have already been used by us. Oh, good. That'll be easy for me to <laughs> get them. <that. laughs> so, it's... Okay. So, this is a movie with dinosaurs... Um, with, mm, I want to say corrupt science, but it's not really. And, <laughs> and the scientists uh, do things that they shouldn't, and the dinosaurs end up killing people. All right, Jurassic Park, go ahead. <laughs> Meets a movie with dinosaurs where the, the, the parent dinosaur dies and the child dinosaur cries at the death. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. The land before time. Hooray! Okay, um, this is... Uh, it's a movie, um, about a guy searching in the jungle for relics from the past, <laughs> mm -hmm. and etc. 
uh, meeting Raiders a, of the Lost Ark. Go meeting ahead. a movie <laughs> with a creature that gets adopted by a uh, human family and almost dies but comes back to life. Hooray! She used Harry and the Hendersons? She did not, actually. I forgot. Oh, no. This is not one that either of us actually used, <laughs> but it's very similar. Oh, it's it's weird that your explanation of it matched almost exactly my yeah. explanation of Harry and the Hendersons. Right? Uh, is this E.T.? It is. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All righty. Which is why, I, why that description almost matched yours is because that's what I thought it was when you said that. <laughs> so. Right. So this is fun for me because during our special anniversary episodes, I don't get to play the, the games and it is so fun to be on the other side of that. It's interesting trying to play the game about things with no de- no descriptions written down, too. <laughs> All right, let's go on to our second game, which is alternate tagline, a word or phrase you would see on a movie poster for the film that is accurate to the theme, though possibly misses the point. So, uh, starting off here, um, I think we talked about this during the discussion, so it is Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend, a discovery of a lifetime is worth risking your life, but not your sex life. <laughs> oh boy, I wish Sarah was here to hear this because it's terrible, yep. and I feel bad that I wrote it down. Oh, you mean yours. Oh yeah, no, mine, mine, mine Which is... I agree was terrible. I can't wait to hear yours though. Baby, secret of the lost legend, the horniest paleontologist to search for glory in the southern hemisphere. <laughs> wow, so we're not considering Jeff Goldblum to be the horniest scientist? Uh, you know, I, I debated about saying since, uh, what was his character, Ian Malcolm, except this came out first, so... True. Uh, Alright, my next one here. Baby, secret of the lost legend... Native tribes can fix anything white people screw up. <laughs> the mystical tribe that shows up out of uh-huh. nowhere. Uh-huh, and then disappears. All right. Oh, and we didn't really cover this at all, so this won't make any sense. But sure. I'll say it anyway. Baby, secret of the lost legend. Bloody deaths and nudity in a children's movie? No problem. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> that was a catchphrase of the pilot. One of the more enjoyable characters in the film who is not fully explored because they like to spend time with this annoying couple. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that we didn't really mention that at all in the whole podcast. So I like his attitude towards this work. It's just like, yeah, I can get you whatever you need. And then he, I am your man. And then he throws Molotov cocktails at people. So. <laughs> all right. My last one here is Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. Journey to the uncanniest of valleys. <laughs> I did one of the things that I read talking about the costumes. It, it was talking about how it the movie is like a cross between what like an adventure movie, but also a schlocky 50s, 60s creature film, which is probably a good way of describing it. <laughs> right. But like if it if it had stuck to one thing or the other. Yeah. Like it could be appreciated. But this weird hodgepodge. Ugh. Just the worst. Anyway, moving on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game, a description of the plot of the film you would see in Netflix or TV Guide, which accurately represents the plot, but possibly misses the point. All right, so I'm going to start us off here. I have tried, uh, starting with Junior and trying to move on, 
to make them a lot shorter, uh, to make them, I guess, funnier and not completely encapsulate the entire film, but we'll see how I do. Anyway, <laughs> my first one here, the plot of Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend is a woman hesitant to have children with her husband decides to adopt when the right orphan comes along. You You're making faces as if I read your game and then stole it. Yep. No, well, probably not quite exactly the same. Fair. I had actually, I, I had had one about adoption and I changed it, so. Ah, all right. Uh, let's see. A journalist helps his wife babysit in order to convince her that they should have children. After losing <laughs> track of their charge, they work together to persuade the child's mother to kill their former colleague so they can cover up their poor parenting skills. <laughs> well, pretty good. <laughs> I like how you're assuming their motivations, which <laughs> even even the motivations you assume are not as bad as the motivations they actually yeah. had in the film. <laughs> All right. Uh, my second one here, which I wrote for you, I hope you uh -oh. appreciate it, is a field researcher obsessed with a mythological creature gets consumed by his work and his assistant is shocked by his discovery. Now, <laughs> wait, wait. <clears throat> A respected scientist tries to increase his reputation further by returning from the jungle with a live dinosaur, but his assistant is shocked when their treasure escapes. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, yeah, you wrote it specifically for me by copying what mine said. <laughs> uh, yeah, and for our listeners, to be clear... <laughs> We do not share games before we debut them on the podcast. Uh, uh, this is this is just the greatest did, of course. I did like your consumed, though, because I was trying to think of a way to put in that he got eaten by the mother and didn't, didn't get it in there, so... All right, so let's go on to our review scales, starting off, of course, with our infamous potato scale, where we tell our listeners what they can expect to feel watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. So I have Sarah's here and I, of course, have not prepared this. Mark, I see you're looking at the list as well. <laughs> so I will go ahead and share Sarah's uh, while you look at the list. So all Sarah has given us in terms of this film is just, it's a real raw potato. She wanted to add something to the list, which was just a potato wrapped in electrical tape, which is how she described what the costume of this baby dinosaur looked like. And I can totally see where she's coming from, from a raw potato. This film doesn't have a lot of emotional notes. Um, the things that happened in it, you don't really care about, except for maybe the parent dying. And then you don't really care about any of the characters, and it kind of drags on a bit, and some of the scenes go way too long. And so, yeah, it's just nobody bothered to cook a potato that you were forced to eat. <laughs> anyway, Mark, I'm going to take a look at the so list. You go ahead. I... I had a plan for what I wanted to say, but now I look at the list again and thought of another one so because i picked this movie because i remember watching it as a child and enjoying it right uh i probably watched the tv edit version because there was a lot of <laughs> the, the way i described it you to can, you and you sarah can just say nudity yes the way i described it to you and sarah was that there were quote 
parts of this movie that I had forgotten <laughs> about. Huh. So, um, yes, I, there were just things I think that I, if they were there, maybe I just don't remember them because I was so young. I mean, the movie came out when I was two and I don't, I would definitely was older than that when I watched it, but I think we must, uh, we, I think we had it on tape off of TV or something. So anyway, that being said, I'm going <laughs> to potatoes with eyes means that it has spoiled with age. I think usually we would reserve that for a movie that actually was good in its time and has spoiled with age, but mm -hmm. but I don't know if this movie was ever really considered good even back then. For some reason, I just really enjoyed it then, and now I can see that I was wrong. So... <laughs> um, I would agree. It's good with, that you've learned something. Yeah, I would agree with the raw potato. I I wanted to say a potato salad almost because it was probably one of the my least favorite of all the ones we've watched. I could also say sweet potatoes because not as expected. So I think there's just a lot of ways I could go with this. Um, all right. And so what are you going for? You said a raw potato. I'm just potato. gonna go with all the potatoes. <laughs> well, you get three. We've we've limited to three for every other film. Yeah, I will say raw potatoes with eyes, just two of them. Yeah, I'm very much in the same boat. I don't think anybody on the team here particularly cared for this film or particularly uh, felt anything while watching this film. For a film that is supposed to evoke emotions and be for children, it's uh, doesn't really have a lot. I will maybe add to the raw potatoes uh, that it is vodka, uh, which is the rating <laughs> we have for only for adults, which kids shouldn't watch this film. I mean, unless you're trying to expose them to native culture uh, to show them that people in different parts of the world live differently. Yep, yeah, fine. But I, I just don't think this film is worth it. I think there are better films to do that. There's a lot of death. There's hmm, a lot of people shooting things with guns. It's just, it's not a good film for children. Not a good film for adults either, but I, <laughs> I especially don't want children to watch it. So I'm going for a vodka made out of raw potatoes. Which I guess That's, is how vodka is nor <laughs> normally made, so. right? You don't cook a potato to make vodka, surely. Uh, oh, boy. All right. Uh, so let's go on to our numbers scale, telling our listeners, should they go back and watch this film? Again, I've got Sarah's rating here. She gave it a five and a half. So this is slightly above mid-range for it. This is exactly the same rating that she gave Junior. Uh, so those two films are in a similar category for her. I don't, I don't, yeah. She told me what the rating was, well, she told both of us earlier. And right. I was, I don't know where she's coming from with that. <laughs> I guess that's up to her. So I know that she's rated things in the middle range if she just felt blah about things before. Yeah, I don't think anything in the film necessarily was egregious to watch. I don't think anything in the film was necessarily great to watch. It just it does feel like a real slog. And so it's not good. It's not bad. It's just boring. And so that really goes in the middle of the range for her, I think. I suppose, um, I guess, so I, 
and I say this pretty much every time, now that we have so many things uh, reviewed, I tend to go back and look at previous ones and compare and say, well, I liked this one up to this number, and I think this movie was better than the last movie, so this is what I'll sure. get. And I was looking, and I gave Warriors of Virtue, I gave a 3.5. 3.5 and I gave Man of the House 3.75 and I'm like you know as far as going back and watching movies I remember really liking this movie when I was younger but I may go back and watch one of Warriors of Virtue before I would watch this again <laughs> so wow <laughs> I was, that is saying a lot so I was prepared to give this a really really low score it probably be, it would be my lowest score out of any that we have watched you do make a good point, though, that, I mean, it wasn't good, it wasn't bad, and that should be just middle of the road then. So now I'm just kind of, because of your arguments, now I confuse my own numbers. Oh, so, I am just trying to justify what Sarah gave us. I'm not particularly agreeing or disagreeing with what she said, just maybe giving more justification. I I think <laughs> I, I say a lot that people should watch movies even if they're bad movies just so that they can say that they've seen it and that way especially because we're reviewing it for them then they can see what we are reviewing so I would still not tell you not to watch this movie <laughs> not not yeah sure. so I mean if you want to see all these things that we discussed go ahead and watch it but don't expect a lot I guess is what I would say um, I, man, I think I will go probably with my initial reaction and put it down around three, 3.25. Yeah, I'm about there as well. Again, I'm looking at the list of what I've rated and I'm just going by how I feel right now about this film versus how I feel about going back and watching the ones we already have in the list. Mm -hmm. And so for me... Uh, I rate it Terminator pretty low, which I stand by, but I would definitely go back and watch the Terminator before I ever picked up this film. Right. <laughs> so. The ones that I'm where it fits in the range for me is this is between a DuckTales Treasure of the Lost Lamb and a Surf Ninjas, which are both <laughs> very low on the. Fi uh, but I think huh, I don't think it's better than Surf Ninjas, but I also don't want to rate Surf Ninjas higher than it, huh, which is a difficult place See, to yeah, be. Yeah, that's where I, like, Warriors of like Virtue was not a great movie, but there were at least talking points, and they had, like, the fighting scenes and whatever that oh, were... Oh, Warriors of Virtue is at a two for me, so that's going way lower than this. Anyway, I think I'm going to end up at probably a 3.25, which I believe is the same number yeah. you gave it, because those are the two right between um, where I think it should go. Huh. So that is going to close out our review scales, uh, which means that we would normally pass it off to Sarah to tell you where you can find us online if you choose to do so. I believe our Facebook is just retrograding. Uh, you can find each other at Retrograding Party Line. So for those of you who have gone there and have not found anything, blame Sarah. Get on Sarah's case because <laughs> she's in charge of our social media. I do a lot for the podcast. I will not do social media because that's just one more thing I have to take care of. So if you'd like to see more of what we do, maybe our review scales, maybe some pictures from the movie of things that we talked about, 
get on Sarah's case. She's in charge of it. Anyway. <laughs> and she'll our, love to hear from you, too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, so our website is retrograding.fireside.fm. And our music is done by Dominique Barnes, who continues to be great. So this is going to bring us to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. And I normally struggle to find lessons in movies. I think there's plenty of good lessons here in uh, one of the which that came to me while watching the film is don't jump off an underground waterfall. That is just asking for trouble and it will not work out well for you. Um, the other thing is maybe some couples shouldn't be together and they certainly shouldn't have children together. Uh, what was the thing Sarah said that I forgot? Uh, what was it? Stick to bones. Bones can't hurt anybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't remember this happening. Where was I? <laughs> I think it was towards the end. It was like her last oh. section before she popped off. Anyway, uh, so I think I'll just go with some people should just stick to boats. Uh, so that is going to close out this episode of Retrograding. Don't watch this film. We will catch you guys next time. <laughs>